0: Continuing with our series called Facing Giants. How many of you have faced down a few giants this week? (sighs) You know, don't they make a great noise when they fall? (laughs) So... Ah, I just love the victory we have in Christ. The cross has truly accomplished everything. We can live in a freedom that is so beyond our wildest imaginations. We can live with joy in every part of our lives. We can live with, with just a sense of fulfillment and significance in every part of our lives. That's the God we serve. Amen. So, Lord, I just pray that as we continue with this sermon series, Lord God, that you would come and speak to us, Lord, that This would be more than us just hearing a sermon. We would have an encounter with you, Lord God. I pray for each person here that in the place they need to hear it, what they need to hear would come there, Lord God. Father God, I ask that you would set us free to be completely yours and completely who we were meant to be. Make us more like you, more more fully ourselves in you. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen and amen. So I'm going to start this sermon with a story, and it's a true story. It's really a true story. Some years back... Andrew and I were kind of thinking about downsizing our house because uh, you know it's, it's a lot of work, and we, we we in the end decided not to sell it. But we went through a season where we we employed an estate agent and we asked her to start showing the house, and we wanted to see you know if we could get our price. And so we we were going along that going along that route. Um, at that same time, Joshua was a teenager. And he had this particular pair of tracksuit pants maybe you have a kind of tracksuit pants like this at home. It's the one you've loved for years and you refuse to get rid of. So uh, at the bottom of the tracksuit pants, kind of like something had happened to the elastic and to the the stitching. And so they was kind of tattered and hanging in like strips at the bottom. You're really my son. I was like, I didn't want anyone to see him in this tracksuit pants. And then at some stage he'd, he'd either sat close to a heater or put them close to a heater and it had melted kind of a hole in the one leg. I mean, they were bad 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 like when we finally got rid of them I offered them to a street person and the street person said no I don't want those those are too bad so those were bad tracksuit pants but he used to sleep in these tracksuit pants and loved them and and one morning he got up in these tracksuit pants, and his hair was kind of sticking out at all angles, as as it does, you know, uh, when we get up in the morning, his hair was short at that stage, and he walks, stumbled through to the kitchen, and he's like getting ready to make himself a breakfast that consists of everything that's in the fridge, and so he's, uh, he's getting ready to do that, and then, Uh, He hears the front door opening and in walks our state agent. He didn't know that she was here showing the house. And she walks in in with a group of people behind her that are, are wanting to see the house. And Joshua thinks, oh my word, I'm in my tracksuit pants and my hair's all over the place. I don't want anyone to see me. So what does he do? He looks around the kitchen and he thinks, what can save me at this moment? We have in our kitchen a pantry, it's not a walk-in pantry, it's not a big pantry, pantry it's really just like a cupboard, and you can walk into it, but we have a, a small step ladder in there, so you can't, can no longer walk into it, you could climb onto the stepladder. So Joshua looks around and all he can see is this pantry, rushes to it, opens the door, climbs onto this little stepladder, forms the little fetal position, sitting there, pulls the door closed and waits in suspense. A state agent comes in, she comes into the kitchen, and she tells them all about these fantastic cupboards and how wonderful they are, walks over to the pantry, grabs that handle, and says, and look at this magnificent pantry, and pulls open the door, and there is Joshua. (laughs) Everyone's looking at Joshua. I am... at, in the first service, I said, I'd, I didn't really know how it ends, but he told me how it ends in the break. And, and basically, she opened the uh, pantry, and in a very condescending voice, you know, you, you know, if I had that, I would have just closed the door and said, excuse me, this is just a strange family, some <laughs> mental illness here. <laughs> but, but instead, she looked at him, and in a condescending voice said, hiding are we? Like you sweet little thing, hiding. Joshua... Thinking, well, how do I get out of this? Um, pulled himself up, stepped off that stepladder, looked like he was in charge, walked right past her to her bedroom, <laughs> sat in his bedroom and thought, gosh, I wish I died. <laughs> <laughs> or something to that effect. You know, sometimes <laughs> when we face stressful situations, I am going to get a moral out of the story, don't you worry. Yeah. Sometimes when we face stressful situations, our first instinct is to hide. Our first instinct is to, uh, to get away. I remember when I was at university, you know, sometimes I would think about that chemistry lecture coming and I would feel deep stress, deep stress. And I would remember this, this little old man and probably if I saw him now, here, I would s- see him in a better light. But at the time, he just looked like a nasty man who said things that I didn't understand and wore this big ugly tie. And I thought, oh my word, I cannot bear the thought of going to that chemistry lecture. So I instead would go and find my little green beetle, climb into my little green beetle and just go for a very long drive which was my version of climbing into the pantry cupboard. You know, it's just, I I don't want to have to face this anymore. I don't want to deal with it. I just want to get away. And I think as human beings, we very often choose that as a way of coping with stress. But the Bible, from start to finish, talks of how isolation kills, but connection heals. And what the devil really wants to do to us is, in times of stress, Get us to pull up that coping mechanism to isolate ourselves, separate ourselves from the healing relationships of the church community, and to try and go it alone, to try and, and work out a way of coping with this on our own. I've got good news for you. Jesus died alone on a cross to make a way that we never had to be alone again. So I want to start this series, I mean, the sermon is called Overcoming Isolation, and it's going to be broken into two parts, our needs and our habits. And I want to start it by talking or reading a portion of scripture that starts in Luke 19 from verse 1, and it's the story of a man called Zacchaeus. He wasn't a very popular man, in fact, it talks about halfway through the story how the, all the people didn't like him. So let's start reading from verse one. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Can you hear the sneer in their voice? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Isolation kills, but connection heals. We don't know a lot about Zacchaeus. This is really the only story about him in the Bible. But there are some clues we can learn he was a tax collector, which was a very hated profession. We can learn that he was a short man, and that clearly disadvantaged him in certain areas of life. We can, we can learn that he wasn't particularly loved by the community And as we learn all thi- those things, we can also understand a general principle of the Bible, that the, that the Bible is about ordinary, everyday people. Yeah. That this, wa- this wasn't some superhero or some unusual kind of person. This was a person like you and me that was facing the pressures and the difficulties of life, and likely had we been born in a similar situation, we would have reacted in a similar way. I wonder when I read the story of Zacchaeus, what made him climb a tree? I mean, clearly he was short and it would be a better view from there. But, you know, I I think about if he had had friends, you know, wouldn't wouldn't he have asked um, old John next to him, please keep me a a place in the crowd. Can I stand in front of you because I can't see behind you? You know, maybe there would have been people up the tree with him. Hey, let's climb the tree together. Let's see Jesus together. But Zacchaeus was alone. And if you know about any, anything about Jewish dress in that day, in those days, the men wore dresses. Yeah. And any man up a tree is going to be in a very awkward situation. You understand what I'm saying. So, so here he is, clearly in an awkward place without people up a tree. And my question I want to ask is, why was he by himself up that tree? You know, um, scientists and researchers tell us that that being isolated or separated from community has a very detrimental effect on human beings. In 1944, there was an experiment done in America, and every time I just hear of this experiment, something just cringes in my heart. I just, it's like, please, let that not have been done by human beings. But nonetheless, they did this experiment. And what they did is they took 40 babies... And they divided them into two groups, 20-20. And for 20 of them, they just gave them a normal upbringing. The the, the the nurses, it was kind of an orphanage situation. The nurses cuddled them, played with them, fed them. There was interaction, touching. And then the second group of 20 babies, literally what they did, they, they instructed the caregivers, when you go into that room, don't Don't have eye contact with that baby, don't touch the baby, don't cuddle, pick or interact with the baby. Just give them their bottle, leave and do the necessary, the absolute bare essentials. I know all of you inside are going, oh my word, that's child abuse. Why? Because we understand instinctively that human connection is vital for life. We understand that at a very deep level. You You can predict the results. After four months, they halted the experiment because they realized it was child abuse. Half of the children in the non-touch group had actually died. And literally what happened is those babies, after a certain amount of time, they stopped moving, they stopped um, verbalizing, making noise, and they just lay there as if already dead in their souls. It's like they just gave up. It's like life is not worth living. And they just gave up interestingly enough two of the babies that they rescued after four months from this experiment subsequently just stopped living also it's so almost as if the the horror of what they had been through just said to them you know i just i just can't bear it i just can't take this i can't i can't live with the horror of what i've just experienced interestingly enough Researchers have also discovered that communities or cultures where there is less physical contact between its members, less eye contact, less affection between its members, in those cultures and communities there are higher levels of violence and of crime. It's almost as if a lack of connection distorts the human soul. It, it makes something go wrong inside of human beings. There's another researcher by the name of Johan Hari, and he was doing research into addictions. And he discovered that if you took people who were heavily addicted to cocaine, heroin, the worst of the drugs that there are, the worst addictions you can find. And instead of restricting them from getting those drugs, if instead you provided healthy, loving, nurturing relationships and a sense of significance in those relationships in kind of controlled home environments, those people spontaneously left their drug addiction. Gosh, it looks like Jesus is being worshipped everywhere. It's a wedding. Praise the Lord for that. We love weddings. So it was almost as if the drugs that they were taking were compensating for something broken inside that relationships healed. And when they got that healing through relationships, they no longer needed what drugs were giving them it's a spectacular experiment that was done it just makes up for that terrible one done in the US (laughs) but we we come to understand even science has come to understand how important relationships between human beings are and God knew that when he created you he created you not only for relationship with him but with relationship with others you are wired To love and be loved. You are wired for friendship. You are wired for collaboration. You are wired for teamwork. Everything works better when we're together. The whole mission he's given us doesn't work unless we do it together. Most of what you are called to do will not work unless you do it in team. God never meant you to be an isolated lone crusader, but together, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, facing our problems, we will overcome because God has already decreed it. We have a victory through Christ that allows us to stand in community and allows us to win. So I just want to look at... scripture that is in ecclesiastes and i think it really speaks about what these researchers have been saying ecclesiastes 4 9 and 10 says this two are better than one because they have a good return for their work if one falls down his friend can help him up but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up the writer of ecclesiastes is saying this You know, those researchers who did that terrible experiment in the U.S., they should have just read the scripture and just known. They didn't need that experiment. Is that we are wired for connection. Isolation kills, connection heals. Isolation kills, connection heals. Now, when I think of Zacchaeus, you know, the Bible doesn't talk much about him. And I am going to suppose a lot of things. But when I see him up the tree alone, I start to ask questions. Why was he alone? And I think of normal human beings and what would have got them into that position. And I really s- realize that often the desire to isolate ourselves, to separate ourselves, to, to kind of find a way of just making it good on our own, has a lot to do with our sense of who we believe we are. And a lot has got to do, when I look at Zacchaeus, I would imagine that he, he grew up with some sense of inferiority. Now, the Bible doesn't say it exactly, but, but I can see how that would work in a person like that's life. First of all, it talks about the fact that he was a short man, And like, shortness isn't a sin, praise the Lord, because I'd be in real trouble. But how often do we feel inferior because of our physical features? How often does society parade perfect human beings before us Showing us how w- the wonderful, glorious lives they live, and we we compare ourselves to that and feel so much less. How much, how much has society um, raised up this idol of physical perfection, whatever that is? I think Andrew's physical perse- perfection. You know, my husband. I just I think he's the standard everyone needs to meet up to. <laughs> but you know, the colour of your skin. The shape of your nose, your height, how large or small you are, often can leave you feeling less than the people around you. Yeah. And then well, how do we do? We compensate by by protecting our hearts with a little bit of isolation. How about, well, first of all, let me give you some antidote for that. But 1 Samuel, Samuel 16 verse 7 It talks about when Samuel was choosing a new king over Israel. And and God came to him specifically and said this. Don't choose by outward appearance. For I, God, don't look at a man's outward appearance. I look at his heart. And you know, no matter what we look like, no matter who we are, we have to not only look at ourselves, but the people around us, the way that God sees them. We have to say that see the glory and the might and the majesty of Jesus Christ in every human being. And we have to look past the physical features and say, this man, this woman, this is what we see on them. This is who they are. How about the unspoken hierarchy in society? You know, we all have, as we've grown up, imprinted on our minds a kind of idea of who's on top and who's not. No one says it. You know, it's very politically uncorrect to say who's on top and who's on not. But nonetheless, we all have this almost unspoken hierarchy in our minds. And we have this kind of feeling of where we fit in. And then what happens is that that people are kind of who are below us on the so called hierarchy we may feel a bit superior to, or we may, we may find ourselves not treating them as well or respectfully as we could. Yep. But then there's also many people that, in our minds, we somehow are inferior to. I know that the, that whole community thought of themselves as superior to Zacchaeus, because all of them began to matter, "How how can Jesus... Go and eat with this man. Go, how can he go and visit this man? Stay with this man. So clearly there was, there was, a, there was a hierarchy in their mind. And Zacchaeus was right at the bottom. Yeah. And how did that mold him? You know, when he walked into the marketplace, did people turn away from him? Did they not listen to him? Did they dismiss his, his thoughts or his voice when it was spoken? And so easily it is for us. To begin to mold our own perceptions of us by virtue of this unseen hierarchy. And then we begin to discount our own voices. We begin to think of ourselves as less. We begin to, to um, protect ourselves by, by not even forming relationships with people who we think won't receive us. Galatians 3 verse 28. I just love it. Paul's speaking and he says, in the kingdom, he's talking about God's kingdom and the, the kingdom of heaven. And he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. Yeah. What's he saying? He's saying that hierarchy that you have in your mind, that hierarchy that's in society, that this person's better than this, that this person's more important than that person, is not the way of my kingdom. In my kingdom, everyone stands shoulder to shoulder. Everyone is as valuable as the other person. Everyone matters just like the other person. Yeah, that's right. And what's he doing? He's breaking down the walls of separation between mankind, between races, between people groups, between family members, between, between uh, social economic groups, between income earners. Between genders, he's saying, that's not my way. That separation, those barriers do not exist in my kingdom. And I have come to establish a new kingdom where relationship, connection is possible at every level. You know, Zacchaeus, I don't know how he grew up. I don't know what made him make the choices he made. Maybe he was ridiculed at school. Maybe he was bullied at synagogue. Maybe his mom wasn't very affectionate. Maybe his dad was absent. I don't know what molded him. But I also know this, that he made some bad choices. And you know, the truth is, we we come out of life with stuff's happened. But also, at the same time, we all have choices that we have made. And some of the... The reasons why we want to isolate ourselves or separate ourselves is because of stuff that we've experienced. You know, people have rejected us. People we trusted showed themselves untrustworthy. Untrust- stuff happened. And out of that we said, <clears throat> I'm not going to trust anymore. I'm not going to open myself. I'm not going to be vulnerable. I shared that before and look what they did with it. Some of that, that comes from what's been done to us. But some of it also comes because of what we have chosen. And Zacchaeus, he chose a profession. He chose to collaborate with the Roman authorities who were the persecutors of the Jewish people. He chose to cheat and steal from people as he was collecting taxes. And what did that do? It isolated him from the community that would have given him the very sustenance and emotional strength and spiritual fortitude to be able to succeed in life. He cut off his ability to succeed. Romans 8 verse 1 on the other hand says this, that in Christ Jesus there is now no condemnation for those who believe. What's he saying? He's saying that it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. It doesn't matter what you have done to others. You can start new here that you have access to a relationship with a risen king who can make up for all of that stuff, who can start you again, those relationships with that community that Zacchaeus couldn't even speak to. God was going to heal that by adding him to a church that loved him, by giving them the ability to make up for what he had done wrong. Yeah. Come on. God was reconciling him. I love it. I love it that Jesus, when he met Zacchaeus, He walked straight up to him and said, I'm coming to stay at your house. I mean, if that doesn't elevate someone in the social hierarchy, I don't know what does. You know, if the most powerful person in the environment arrives and said, I'm coming to stay at your house, you know, you will have paparazzi, you will have everyone around. You know, if Beyonce arrived tomorrow and said, I'm staying at your house, you know, you would get some attention. And in essence, Jesus just coming to Zacchaeus house, he said, I'm going to break that o- isolation over this man. I refuse to have this man separated and uh, alienated from the community around him. I'll, I'll teach, I'll teach the devil to mess with my children. I'm coming to stay with you, Zacchaeus. And I loved how he just said to Zacchaeus, looked him in the eyes and said, or uh, to the community really, but standing next to Zacchaeus, this man is the son of Abraham. What was he saying? He was saying to all the world around and to Zacchaeus, you belong. This is your home. This is your community. This is your world. And guys, I want to say this your father owns this world. This is your world. Don't give in to the lies of the enemy that somehow you are a second class citizen. Somehow your voice doesn't matter. Somehow your actions don't matter. Do not give in to this lie. We too are the sons of Abraham. We too are Jesus' um, brothers and sisters. We too are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We matter. Our voice matters. Our actions matter. We count. We are significant. We do not have to give in to the lie of inferiority. We do not have to separate ourselves from the communities around us. We have something to give, something to add. You know, on the other hand, I, I know this is true, is that, that all of us have conflicting ideas in our own hearts. And that you might feel inferior to some people, but you know what, I guess every single one of us at some stage feels superior to some people. Yeah. You know, those people who don't know how to drive, those taxi drivers. <laughs> I know once or twice you felt superior to that taxi driver who cut you off. Do you know what I love about Jesus? I mean, who in the world has more reason to feel superior than Jesus? I mean, he created this whole thing. He's spoken into being just by the words of his mouth, and there is a whole universe. I mean, who more could feel superior than that? You know what I love about Jesus is that that he never gave into that. You know, he was so secure in who he was. I, I love how he just, he just stood up and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I mean, you could tell this man was secure. He knew who he was. He was like not, not mincing his words. He was not pretending to be less than he was. And yet, he never felt superior to anyone. He stepped into the world of a tax collector, the most despised person in society. He was willing to be born a carpenter, which was one of the lowest-ranking jobs in that community. He hung out with fishermen. The Jews thought of fishermen as slightly unclean because they had to touch all those fish and all those things that were considered unclean in the law. Jesus hung out with these kind of people. He, he stepped into the world of the most downtrodden. And he never let it affect his sense of who he was. I wonder if Zacchaeus being wealthy... Made him sometimes, you know, think all those people are rejecting, I don't need them anyway, I'm better than them, I've got more money than them, I can buy more camels than them, look, I've got nicer clou- clou- clothes, 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 I've got nicer clothes than them, my feasts are better, I eat better than them, I can take holidays to, I don't know where, where they went to the Red Sea in those days, <laughs> you know, you know I, can just, I can just do what I want, I've, I've got money, I don't need them, and how often... To people, I know all of you very wealthy people, if you're not wealthy, Lord, make them wealthy. Let them experience this temptation. But, but <laughs> in, es- in essence, people can very easily use their wealth to inoculate themselves against the sense of their own need. To, to isolate themselves for the, from their need for people, on, for yeah. connection. And somehow, like it makes us feel like we don't need those people. We're a little bit above them. We've got money. And yet, when Jesus stepped into his world, it's almost like like those people getting rid of the addiction. It's like when he tasted that connection with Jesus, it's like, this money, who needs it? I'll give half of it away. And four times, anyone I've cheated from, it's just like, gosh, I'd much rather have this Jesus thing than this money. Did you know that the Bible loves, hates poverty and loves you being wealthy? Did you understand that? that? That wealth is not something God despises, but wealth always has a function. Everything in the Bible has a function. God doesn't want you to not have money, but money has a reason, and, a, and God intends you to use it for something. There's a parable in Luke 16, 9. You can go and read it yourself. It blows me away. Every time I read it, it's one of those crazy, wild moments in the Bible. I'm paraphrasing it for you, but in essence, Jesus at the end of that parable says, use your wealth to make relationships. Did you know that that's a function of money? Money is there to make relationships to form deep friendships with people, to facilitate relational environments, to create places where the kingdom can reach people so that they can be brought into this great relationship with Jesus also. So we can be isolated by virtue of our inferiority, but we can also be isolated by virtue of our sense of superiority or prejudice towards others. But God is so great in breaking all of those. And what, what every human being needs is, first of all, reconciliation with Jesus, just as Jesus came and walked into Zacchaeus's life. But also reconciliation with the community around us. A restoration. As I've said already, Jesus spoke right to that crowd. This man is the son of Abraham. What was he saying? This is your brother. He was inviting him back into that very community who had rejected him and saying, Stand strong here. All of us are in need of healing in some degree. I don't think it's possible to go through life without being disappointed in some way by someone. I don't think there's a person here that hasn't received some kind of rejection. Some of us feel it more deeply than others, but nonetheless, it's out there. There are imperfect people around, and they mess up. And my likelihood is you've probably hurt someone too. Maybe just by chance it's possible. Unfortunately, those, those places of pain and disappointment and rejection in our hearts tempt us, tempt us, To take a hold of isolation and not try again. To isolate ourselves from the possibility of being hurt just like that once more. And Jesus' invitation is to us is come let me heal your heart. Come let me be to you what those people could not be. And then I'm inviting you to lower your walls and try again. I'm inviting you to lower your defense mechanisms and once more be vulnerable with the person next to you. Once more, reach out in friendship to that person you don't know. Once more, try again to be connected. Share yourself, love someone, be loved. Reach out, take a chance. Unfortunately, I can't guarantee you that every time will work out well. Because there's still broken people out there. But I can guarantee you this. If you don't pull up those walls and you continue to practice and move and do and try and relate and keep your walls down and be a real person and share openly and honestly with people, hear their hearts, love them for who they are, you will find friendships that will blow your mind. You will find connection with people that is so much more and so than you've ever thought and so life-giving. So we all need healing and we all need forgiveness. We all need to be forgiven by God and by other people. There might be some people that we need to go back to and say, listen, I was wrong. I messed up in that relationship. I'm so sorry. At the same time, there might be people we just need to forgive and we need to say, you know what? They don't have capacity to love me like I want to be loved. And I need to say, I release you. I release you from the obligations of loving me. I'm going to get that from Jesus, and I'm going to give it, whether you give it to me or not. I forgive you. And then last of all, as we move forward, seeing God's plan for how he wants us to be connected and in relationship with people. We need to walk with Jesus learning the habits of connection. Learning the ways, the kingdom ways of relating to people. And you know, some of them don't come naturally. Some of them we have to learn and press into and practice and get better at. Here are some of them, and I've used two verses from the Bible that really speak to me about them. The habits of connection. Clearly Zacchaeus hadn't learned them up to that point. But I'm pretty sure once Jesus stepped into his life, he was learning them very fast. Some of them were those reconciliation um, events that he did of giving his money away and making up for the way he had wronged people. But as we read 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 19, I note some things. It says this, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What good news. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Can you see how important relationships are to God? That so much of the cross was about reconciliation between men, mankind, between men and women, between families, communities, cultural groups. So much about it is about reconciliation. Some of the things I see from the scripture, and you can get a lot more out of it, but some of the things that come to my mind is that first, the habits of connection involved seeing others as Jesus does. Not not, um, not viewing, not regarding others from a worldly point of view. But really looking to see others. Who is this person in Christ? Who is this person meant to be? And often it's so much more than their physical appearance presents. But looking past those facades, those defense mechanisms, the, the abruptness, the, the difficulty of the person, and saying, no, this person too is a son of Abraham. How do I see this person like Jesus does? On the other hand, how about us seeing ourselves as Jesus does? You know, that goes so far in relationships. Because it means I can present a whole new glorious person to the people around me. Yeah. So I'm no longer thinking, uh, what are these people thinking about, or thinking about me, or, or who's, who's liking me, who's not. I'm just living from this place of the new creation that God has made me new. I'm thinking about myself as, as God does, as a, a glorious creation victorious, overcomer, as someone, gosh, who wouldn't like me? What's there not to like? God made me and he was having a good day when he did it. I'm a nice person. (laughs) Can you just tell your soul right now, I'm a nice person. Yeah. (laughs) Who wouldn't want to know you? Step away from the lies that the enemy's throwing you consistently. Not everyone's going to like you, but that doesn't make you not a nice person. That's their problem. Live out of that new creation. Don't live the lies or the traps of your past, don't live the smallness of your previous existence. Guys, when you got born again, he recreated you. He made you new. He made you into something spectacular. Live that. Live that. Strong. Safe. Alive. Come on. Here's a good one. Practice being loved. The next one, time someone comes to tell you, that's a really great shirt. That blue shirt you're wearing right there. That's a goodie. Instead of thinking, oh my word, she's probably wants something from me. (laughs) Or she's going to ask me for money. (laughs) How about, yeah, I I chose this shirt. Gosh. How about practice being loved? Practice receiving the love that people are giving you. When someone gives you a hug, you know what, gosh, I'm a loved person. I matter. I belong. Practice receiving love from people. Practice feeling loved. Practice in your relationship with God, but practice in your relationship with people. How about practice being a friend? You know, we don't always know what the, uh, how best to be a friend to people. It's something we have to learn and grow in. And you know, I've made overtures to people, I've made jokes with people that have really fallen flat and they ended up being insulted instead of blessed. You know, I I was trying my best to be a good friend, I was trying to make a fun environment, but it didn't work. You know what, I have a choice at that moment to say, okay, this this reaching out to people doesn't work, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm done with this. Or I can say, oh, won't do that again. What can I learn from this? How can be better. You know, tell the person sorry. Sometimes they receive my sorry. There are people out there that don't like me. I'll be honest with you. And I'm I'm so sorry about that. (sighs) But I'm going to keep trying. And I'm going to keep practicing. And I'm going to get better at being a friend. And I'm going to get better at loving people. I'm going to get better at revealing myself to people. And finding out who they are. Because I've got a God behind me that promised me success. And... Last of all, Hebrews ten twenty three to 25 says this. Let us hold on to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together. Can I say that again? Let us not give up meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing, let us encourage one another. Yeah. Don't give up meeting together as has become the habit of some. In other words, some people have just stopped going to church, have stopped going to Connect Group, and they just fill their life up with other things, and then it becomes a habit to not go to church. They can no longer fit it in. They can no longer go to young adults' um, picnics because they fill their life with so many other things. (laughs) Make room for relationships. Do the things that make for relationships. You can't have relationships with people unless you're around people. Yeah, good point. Come to church. Go to Connect Group. Go to picnics, brides, yeah. victory trainings. Go and meet people. Oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> yeah. Persevere in good deeds. And meet regularly at church and connect groups and any other social gatherings. Amen. Amen. And in conclusion, we are made for connection. As we practice the habits of connection, isolation will flee. Isolation kills, but connection heals. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God is so faithful to all of us, isn't he? Lord, I just pray for each person here. Lord God, we we just want to be more connected with you. We want to be more connected with each other. Lord, I pray that you would come and touch every heart. Father God, you would deliver us from the pain and the heartache of past broken relationships. Lord God, that you would set us free. That you would give us capacity to love people, to be loved by people. To gain the significance and the sense of value that comes from connectedness. Thank you, Lord. For many of you, there have been past hurts and past breakdowns that really have left you scarred. And the thought of opening up to people about your secrets and your what's going on in your life is quite scary. It's daunting. And if that's you, I'm just going to take a moment for God to come and heal that part of your heart. I'm not going to make you put up your hands because that feels daunting too. I'm going to let you just have an encounter with Jesus. I'm going to invite him to step into your world, to step next to that tree and say, Hey you, I'm coming to live with you. So if that's you, won't you won't you just open up your heart in this moment and let him come and tell you the truth. That you're a nice person. You're a nice person. I like to be with you. Who wouldn't want to be with you? You belong. You matter. You're significant. You have a part in my plan. You belong to my family. You too are one of Abraham's children. Those barbs and those daggers that have come into your life, that have been words that people have said, I just right now take hold of those and I pull them out and I just declare into your your life, You're a nice person, you're a loved person, you belong, you're beautiful, you're handsome, you're strong, you're able. God is with you. People like you. You make a difference. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So I'd love you to just take a moment and and sit in that revelation that's coming to you. Just let it become a reality to you. Allow God to speak it into the very deepest part of your heart. Sometimes he has to say it again and again and again before we get it. But at the same time, while we're all in this place of prayer, there may be some of you here that if you're honest, you have to say you haven't made that first step of saying yes to Jesus. You know, Zacchaeus was left with a choice when Jesus stood under his tree and said, I have to come and stay with you. He could have said no. He could have made an excuse about how dirty the house was, how, how no one could could come and visit him, his house was too small. And if you're honest with yourself, you, you don't know if you've really said yes to Jesus. You feel like, you know, if you're honest, you have to say that that you're still in charge of your life. You haven't really handed over that control to Jesus. And if that's you and you you want to change, you want to say, gosh, I've I've gone it alone so much, and I just realized that I need I need God. And that's you and you. You want to make that change in your life. Perhaps you know that you're not right with God and you want to get right with Him. And if that's you, I'd love you to just raise your hand because I would love to pray with you. Is there anyone who would like to do that? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, Lord, I continue to pray for each person here that the, the connection with you and the connection with others would become stronger and stronger, that their sense of belonging and wholeness through these relationships would grow, that you would heal them as you heal the relationships, Lord God, that they would find true friends in connect groups, in church, at victory training, and at places, uh, at the Wednesday night campus meeting, just in their, in their res rooms, wherever they are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand?